Thank you, Pastor Sam. And if you have a Bible there, please turn your Bible to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can probably download one on your phone, or we do have Bibles available out in the foyer. We'd love for you to have a Bible. We'd love for you be, to be able to follow along uh, with us. Um, we, we've been doing, over this last year, been doing a study on 1 Corinthians, and that's had most of our Sunday mornings, but uh, because... Um, my wife and because my wife had a baby, we introduced a baby into our family, and then Missions Month. It's been quite a few weeks since we've um, gone back into First Corinthians. And, and as you read the passage we're going to look at today, you might think, "Well, why'd you start up with that one?" And you'll know what I'm talking about here in just a minute. But um, you know, God brings us to challenging verses to work to apply them um, in our lives, and it's good because sometimes we come up with things, and it helps us to wrestle through things that we. Um, you know, maybe don't understand or wonder how they fit in and, and, and then to find ways that they might. So First uh, Corinthians 11, uh, starting on verse 2, we'll do through verse 16 today. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man." That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of God. May add his blessing to the reading of it. You may be seated. And would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage or or other challenging passages of Scripture, we just pray that you would give us um, just clarity. Clarity in my words, that what I say would be clear and and true. Father, that you would give um, clarity to our our minds and to be able to um, discern uh, what this says to us. But Father, more importantly, what uh, continues on, what continues on inside of our lives Thank you for challenging passages. Thank you for uh, things that we can learn from your scripture. Thank you, God, that as we uh, look and and, and study, Father, we have so many places to grow. And and so, Father, help us um, by the aid of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you think about it, um, our culture tells us that one, one of the most important commodities that exists is your attention. Is your attention. I mean, just think out how much will be spent on a 30 second commercial 
Why? Just to get your attention, right? There are people that are called um, social media influencers, and their goal is to put something on the internet that will grab your attention, and so grab an attention maybe week to week or, or day to day, that um, you, by paying attention to them, will um, earn them a living and earn them money from the flamboyant or different things that they say. Um, in today's world, your attention is a valuable commodity that people want. It's certainly true as well as our families, right? Our families value that attention as well. That's why we turn off our TVs or put, set aside our phones or go out on a date night or go on a vacation or, or just spend time talking around the dinner table. You know, that valuable attention that we give to one another um, is, is so precious for our relationships. And so, you know, the question we have when it comes to our attention is to be sure we're putting it in the right place, isn't it? Put it in the right place. As we come here for worship, you know, it's about our attention. We're setting aside an hour of, of time, or more than that, to put our attention on, on God, to put our attention on Jesus, to put our attention on things that are going to last, things that are eternal. Um, you know, that is a part of our worship together. Now, sadly... Uh, even as Christians, we can become self-focused and lose, you know, that attention that we're called to give to God. And instead of our shared worship of God, the, you know, our worship of God that we do together, uh, many go to worship thinking that it is about my experience or my self-expression or have I been fed, you know, or, you know, are these the things that interest me or not? And so while the things that we sing or what we pray or what we might say may, you know, sound like it's outward, but we know we can have an inner focus of me, myself, and I, you know, that this is about me. And how do we move away from that? Well, our passage today discusses something which probably sounds very remote to us. It's about wearing head coverings in church, particularly about wearing, uh, about women wearing head coverings. And I'll just say from the start, we'll delve into this later, but I don't think that women are required to wear head coverings today. And, and while it was applicable in that time, I, I don't think it is applicable today. That might be a relief to some of you. Um, unless, of course, you wanted to buy a really nice hat for next week and some excuse to do that. Um, but, you know, that won't happen. Or, you know, we won't have ushers in the front handing out masks and then head coverings on the one side. So we, we won't be doing those things. But, but what is going on in the passage? Uh, again, just broad overview. Uh, at the time that this was written, the, the, the generally accepted social practice of the city of Corinth was that women would be wearing head coverings as they were out and about. That was just an expectation. And the practice of churches was that it would be the same while they were there. Yet, some of the women who were in the city of Corinth, that they were not wearing head coverings, and it was creating some challenges. Because remember, this is a letter. First Corinthians is a letter. It wasn't written as a book. It was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to this church that's in Corinth, and he's addressing problems inside of the church. I personally wonder if he liked, personally liked dealing with this problem or not. Um, whenever it comes to clothing or these things, I don't like touching those things. I want to step back from some of those things, um, you know, with, with the decisions people make. Um, in fact, commentators point out about him that this is maybe some of the least passionate parts of this whole letter that, that, that has been written. But it was enough of an issue that he had to talk about it. He had to address it. 
Now, as we look at it today, you know, the question we always have is how do we take a passage like this and apply this in our world? And you know, passages like this you know, bring up that question. You know, we believe the scripture is infallible. We believe that it is inerrant. We believe that it is given to us from God, God as its author. And, and as he's given it to us, it, it, there, um, as the authors wrote, guided by the Holy Spirit, um, it is useful to the church, it is binding to the church for all of time. Now, what the work of understanding the Bible and preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible is, is to understand those timeless principles and apply them to us, even as we know some of the cultural things which were right then at that time might, um, might not be timeless, might go away. And to have the, the discernment of, of what's timeless and what's not, I mean, that's part of the thing that we do in, in understanding the Bible. Because those things that are timeless, the things that God has for our church today, we want to keep those things going. So, again, written to a particular situation in history, directed to a specific circumstance. And so we want to understand that, understand then taking the, those broader principles and how they apply to us. And so... I'll work today through some of the reasons why I don't think it is um, the head coverings part is transferable today. But the thing is, I hope you pay attention to the things that are. That this isn't just a matter of historical curiosity or something we can just kind of let aside. But there are principles which are universally applicable as we worship God. You know, at core of this is that God, that Christian worship is focused on communion with God. And it's a focus on communion together with God. And so there's a relation with God which happens as a relationship together. And we're going to honor that as we, um, as we honor that community part as, as we seek the Lord together. You know, the world says that we should differentiate ourselves. And it says we differentiate ourselves maybe by our style or maybe by our quirkiness or maybe by our intelligence. Um, you know, show your individuality. But, you know, the Bible shows that as Christians, our, our differentiation is different. You know, what is that, that, that separates Christians? It ought to be our love, our faith, our worship, our good deeds. You know, we don't differentiate ourselves by what we wear, by outlandish personalities. Um, no, we're different in our character. We're different in the way that we love and however that personality works its way out. So here's the thing, that God gives us a simple model of faithfulness. And there are many times that, you know, we'll work within the social patterns around us um, just for the simplicity of it, of just simple faithfulness. But there are times that we buck the system. Um, but if we do, it'd be because it's against the gospel. And God calls us to work uh, within our social pattern for our witness, for our unity, for our order, for his glory. And even when we are going to do something different, uh, the call is not to self-expression, but it's call, a call to humble obedience to God. We're called in humility to serve him, even if it means suffering, but, but not privilege. So our big idea today is that God has saved us to worship him, and he calls us to direct our attention onto him, but not to be directing attention to ourselves. So the question for today is, how does this passage about head coverings, teach, what does it teach us about worship? And so we see three principles. You can follow along in your bulletin or whatever. Uh, but the first principle I want to draw out is in verses 2 through 10, which is the principle of glory. 
the principle of glory. And so you can look at these verses, and if you do a quick scan of it, you'll see that the words glory and honor and authority are repeated words that are in there. You know, to, to glory something, glorify something, is to show its weightiness, or to honor something is to show respect to something uh, because, of, because of its place. Now, this passage is talking about a certain kind of behavior that reflects well on another person. Reflecting well on a person who is in a position of prominence. Because when we glorify someone or, or glory them or honor them, we shine light on those good qualities. Especially when it comes um, to, that, to a person in a place of authority. We let you know, those good qualities come out. We, we shine a light on them to show them how good they are. And so to understand glory rightly, we have to come back to how we were even created. Going back to Genesis 1.27, where the Bible says that God created man and woman in his own image, created mankind in his own image. And to be created in God's image means to reflect back to God his glory and to reflect out to the world his glory, his wonder. And so that's the very purpose we're created, to, to shine forth his glory back to him and then to one another and to all of the created world. And as we take dominion of the world, you know, it's because his glory and his goodness, his mercy is demonstrated. So, um, you know, we see it around us. Honor works, um, you know, in various places. Honor can work in the marketplace, in the workplace, for example, when we um, honor our employer by shining a light on the quality of our service or our product that we're doing. Um, it comes up in marriage because um, glory and honor have a place in that relationship. And you can look at verse 7, how a wife has an important job of helping her husband in the worship of God. As, as an image bearer, she uh, glorifies God in what she de- does, but her particular calling is to shine the good character of a godly, of a godly husband. So let, let's work this out a little bit, this, this glory, um, the principle of glory here. Uh, starting in verse 3, you'll see that the Apostle Paul speaks about the head of every man, the head of a wife, and the head of Christ. Each of those cases, the word head is is a metaphor. Um, You know, like the head of an organization. It's kind of a metaphorical statement. Now, in this case, the head, commentators um, point out, doesn't refer to a place of importance as in the most important part of an organization, or even the source, like headwaters, or the source of a river, or something like that, the head of a river. But head refers to the person on the top, or the person in front. It speaks to the person who's in the prominent or foremost position there. And so we see that this head, that's this person of prominence who's there with respect to each one. And then if you work down at verses 4 through 10, he then moves to this metaphorical head, to the literal head, you know, like the head that's on our neck. And the point that he makes is this, is that for this church, the things that they do with their literal head had a effect, had a, a represented or said something about their metaphorical head. What they did with the head on their body would dishonor or honor the person of prominence inside their lives. And so in verse three, again, going back to there, we see three categories of headship given. Uh, The head of every uh, man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Jesus Christ is God his Father. And so our job, we see it's given out broadly, is to play our part for the good representation of our head. That's what we call a glory principle. Um, It's something that we're all responsible for. Every one of us is under some kind of authority, and we have a responsibility to make that authority to look good. 
That's clear from the focus of the passage, though, is that, the, is that it's mostly about women in the Corinthian church wearing head coverings in response to the headship of their husbands. You can see that, especially in verses 7 through 10. It's helpful to see where this comes from. It comes from creation itself. We could turn back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where we see God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And then he says he will provide a helper for him. And if we jump down to Genesis 2, 21 through 22, uh, from that decision, he uh, creates Eve to be Adam's helper. You see, Adam was put in a garden. It wasn't God's design that Adam would do that by himself. But God designed that he would do it with a partner. Um, the work would be done together. And then that's why God brought Eve alongside Adam to help him to accomplish God's goals, God's purposes for that garden. And so Eve would honor Adam as she continued to help him in his work in the garden. And as Adam was successful in that work, she would also be successful and profit along with him in that work. And that becomes a model for marriage then, the one the scripture gives with the husband as the head and the wife as a helper. And so while the practical expression of this might uh, change from generation to generation or culture to culture, uh, the principle of male headship um, under the call of God, that remains to this day. We're not just talking about the way, the way it should be, although it should be that way, but it really is the way that it is. Um, that's the design of God. And the question that we have is, what will we do with the design of God? If we honor and respect it, we'll do well. But if we forget the design of God, there's, there's difficulties that we face in forgetting that design. Now, for the Corinthians, this showed up as to whether a woman would be a spiritual help to their husband in wearing a head covering in the church that whether they did that or not would say something about their husbands, um, their relationship, and, and, and his own devotion to Christ in a lot of ways. Now, the point here is that what she did with her physical head, again, points to a metaphorical head. So the time this was written, whether it's in the Middle East or whether it was in Greek society, uh, women normally wore head coverings. Almost every woman on the streets of Corinth would be wearing some sort of head covering, and to not wear one was intentional, and it was a big statement. So we might ask, well, why were the women not wearing head coverings in the church? We don't know for sure. He doesn't tell us, but we can speculate on some ideas. And, and sometimes working through these can be informative. Um, but here's some possible reasons. One of them is the informal setting of the church. Remember, at this time, most of the churches, they didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in homes, personal homes. And, you know, if you know what it means to be in a personal home, there's definitely a family informal feeling to, um, to being there. You know, there's not going to be a cultural expectation of wearing a head covering inside of the house in some circumstances. It's a place of familiarity. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of, of family. That pretense of formality could go away. And it was one of the reasons why, if, if this was one of the reasons why women were removing their head coverings, uh, the passage appeals to a larger principle, that the, that the church's worship services are not private, informal gatherings, but they are public assembly. Uh, the church may be a covenant family together, but we also recognize that in worship there's a public nature. It's not just about one family, it's not just about one household, or just a private group of a number of households, it's for the, all the people of God who press, profess faith in Christ in a local area to gather together for the worship of God. And as a public gathering, it should have the decorum of that society around it. 
Well, another possible reason was about the equality of the sexes. Somebody might have said, Paul, you've taught us that in Jesus' kingdom, there is no difference between male and female. We all approach God equally. If men don't need to wear head coverings, we women don't need to wear them either. And so while it is true that we approach God through faith in Jesus Christ and there, and in terms of salvation or approach to God, there is no difference between male and female. It doesn't mean that all societal aspects of sex are dissolved, all natural aspects of sex are dissolved. Um, in fact, the society around us, it learns from common grace. It learns some things that are right and from general revelation. And if Paul's going to point to us that our place in God's kingdom does not abolish all uh, natural or social or natural distinctions between people. By honoring biological sex, we honor God as our creator. I mean, thirdly, it could be that they were just defiant, basically saying we're free in Christ. It's unspiritual to wear one. We will not wear one. And if that is the case, Paul's words here remind them that worship is not about them but it's about the Lord and it's about others. And there's no place for that defiant attitude within the body of Jesus Christ. And so as part of this whole discussion, um, in verse four, the apostle Paul, um, he talks about men in head coverings. So, you know, what, what is that about? Um, he says that they should not pray or prophesy with their head covering. Now, when I understand this praying or prophesying, he's talking in general ways about the normal ministry of the church. You know, whether it's people who are up there speaking or giving testimony or even those who are praying seated inside of, uh, silently inside of their chairs. Um, but in order to understand this, this men and their head covering, you know, we, it's helpful to know something else about the Greek religious system. You know, at that day, what the pagans would do when they'd offer their prayers and, and even sacrifices to God, they would actually pull a part of their robes up over their head, and then that would be part of their sacrifice, be part of their prayer. It was, it was a specific phrase that was used to describe what some of the pagan people did. So this, this head covering would, uh, uh, would come over there when he offered this prayer and this sacrifice to God. And so when Paul says that a man who prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, he's saying that head coverings would be an imitation of these pagan promises, pagan practices. And as our God is not like those pagan deities, uh, he should not be confused with them. That doesn't glorify God. And the, they weren't allowed to do that. Is that the normal place would be for a man socially to have his head uncovered. Now for a woman, on the other hand, an uncovered head was a sign of familiarity or it was a sign of immorality. We see that in verse five. Again, the worship service was a private gathering. It was a public gathering. The societal norm for women was to wear head coverings in public and they were not supposed to be that familiar with the men of the congregation to leave their heads uncovered. We may not understand that all today, but they would have understood it then. But there's another social norm that the Apostle Paul points to in the passage, and it's the matter of immorality. Uh, during those times, if a wife committed adultery, her husband uh, could have her head shaved as a sign of public dishonor. Um, another thing that the prostitutes in the area, they would show their availability by their short hair and uncovered heads. And so this uncovered head would either be a sign of familiarity, like the relationship between a husband and a wife, um, in the home or of loose morals um, if it was done in public. And the church was not a place for either one of those. And so in verse six, 
the Apostle Paul goes on to say that if a woman is not going to wear a head covering, she might as well just shave her head. Now, in this case, I think he's, you know, he's like over-exaggerating his case. He's making a case in point. Um, basically saying that, that um, these church women would never shave their head, you know, because of what it insinuated about them. And so why not steer far away from this insinuation? Why not just wear the covering rather than being disre- bringing disrepute on themselves, their husbands, and the Lord? And so if we look at verses 7 through 10 then, it reiterates this glory principle. We are called to shine a light on the good character of our head and God's goodness in creation. That principle of glory is an outgrowth of creation. It's not made up by society. It's not something we made up. It's not about repression. It's not about control, but it's an outgrowth of God's creative plans. So men should not wear a head covering because it says something false about worship. Again, based on societal patterns of the day, but because women head coverings were related to marriage or their place in the family, they're a matter of modesty. It was proper for women to wear them in their services. All right, so that's kind of the context of it. So I'm thinking about it. Well, now, how do we apply this today to ourselves? What are some of those practical things that are there? So here, here are a few things. I want to draw them out. The first of all, I do not believe that the wearing of head coverings um, it continues to this day. Um, it's so connected with that first century culture, you know, that culture which he's writing to, um, that that it's it's. I don't see the way that we bring it to today. In fact, wearing them could be strange or even a big distraction from the gospel message. Like one example I thought of a, of a real distraction is, is a royal wedding or a royal funeral. And if you've ever seen them, they're beautiful. You know, they have the Anglican Book of Common Prayer and the words there are amazing. But have you seen the hats? I mean, they are amazing. It, it, is, it is a fashion symbol that is there. And so, you know, sometimes you wonder if some person who, um, you know, does, does that get distracting or not? I mean, I was distracted just watching one. I thought, man, look at these hats. These are amazing hats. Um, you know, but somebody would come in and just say, how does simplicity and love for the Lord? You know, I'm not wearing a hat. It's about me and worship of God, not about fanciness or style as I come to something like this. Um, secondly, though, um, the role of headship continues. The establishment of gender roles, that is a part of creation. God gave those roles to men and women by their biological sex. And so that's understood within marriage. Uh, Men are called by God to be the head of their wives. It's an understanding within the family. And it's going to show up in the way that we personally carry ourselves during the services, even when we're out and about. Third, uh, we are all the image of God. and We're called to glorify him. But we have different responsibilities as we do that. Men are called to be spiritual heads of their family, leading in service to God. His call is to lovingly lead in the matter of conscience and worship and obedience to God. His example matters greatly. The man's attention is upward towards God, but it's also on his wife and it's on his children. You know, those that God has brought into his life. But as for the women, their role is as a spiritual helper in seeking God for herself, in honoring her husband as part of their relationship with God. She doesn't uh, want to bring dishonor or disrespect on him, even if she thinks he deserves it. Uh, But she wants to see her husband spiritually thrive and to spiritually lead. And that shows up in the simple actions that she takes. So we believe that God is glorified and people and families thrive if they take on these God-given roles. The fourth thing under this glory principle is that there's a place of modesty within the church. Uh, One of the points 
I take away is we shouldn't do anything that we think might distract others from the attention of worshiping God by drawing it to ourselves. Now, I'm not going to go into a long list of, of modesty rules or anything like those things. And, you know, sometimes we don't know the situation different people are in. Different people are in different contexts. And so, you, you know, you help disciple people along. But we do need to think about the matter of modesty when it, with regard to our heart. You know, one thing this passage points to is, you know, it's not a goal in the worship of God to draw attention to ourselves. We should think about what we wear. We don't wear things or do things that distract attention to us. And I'm not just talking about women. When we talk about this, men should think about modesty as well. Uh, the point is that we can wear things which appear very expensive, very flashy, very revealing, very political, very sloppy, just to make a point, just to make a statement or to get people to notice um, to notice us. There's a whole website, uh, this one thing that's called like um, flashy pastor shoes. And it's this whole um, Instagram site, which just talks about pastors wearing thousand dollar shoes um, in, in their, in their services or, or women preachers carrying around their $2,000 handbags. It's all part of that prosperity gospel, like trying to, um, you know, look good to look the part, you know, and we always have to ask, you know, are we drawing attention to ourselves to a cult of celebrity, or we're joining together so we can put our attention uh, towards God. And whether we like it or not, the way that we present ourselves, it forms judgments in others. I mean, they may be right, they may be wrong. Um, it's all over the place. It's not just the church, it is all over. And the place, the passage we have, a good reminder that the way we present ourselves um, matters. And he's saying, don't communicate something that you shouldn't. Don't communicate something about yourself that isn't true, about your beliefs or anything. Let your focus be on the Lord. Let your fellowship be with him. We want, we want to help people in worship, not, not to distract them. So that's the, the, the principle of glory. Let's look at the second thing, the principle of interdependence. These are a little shorter here. Um, but right after talking about men being the glory of God, uh, Paul writes these verses as if to prevent a misunderstanding that would lead to some sort of abuse. Because what he does, he stresses their interdependence. He says, yes, there is this, that, that um, man is the head of, of the wife and um, the glory. And it's interesting that he puts this here because sometimes women get nervous about verses like this and submission and headship and those things. And, and you know, I've seen, you may have seen issues of headship abused. I wonder if he has those same concerns as he writes this. Um, but he makes this point of interdependence here, is that men and women cannot exist without each other. You can look at verse 11 and 12, where he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as, man was made from, uh, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. See, God is the creator of all things. But we know that the first woman would have never existed had it not been for a garden and a rib that was pulled out of someone else. But likewise, no other man since that point would have ever existed except for their mama who came and gave them life. And we give thanks for our moms for their love and the, you know, the, the love that they, 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 they show us. And so instead of the men or the women getting hoity-toity about their, about their role or position, the Apostle Paul, he levels this playing field and he reminds us that we, that we all thrive best when we work together in the worship of God. You know, he shows their, uh, their mutual dependence on each other and their mutual status in Christ in Galatians 3. 
28 and 29, where he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. So our roles and our responsibilities, those are not the things that determine our value, but God is the one who determines our values. And the verses really direct us to answer the question of how can we best thrive with each other? Ephesians 5, through 27 uh, points us to some of that. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. You know, when people live in this mutual relationship, both bringing their gifts, both bringing their calling and responsibility together, um, you know, that's where people thrive. The idea of headship or the idea of submission are not an excuse to abuse or to control. I mean, if it leads to that, that's, that's a misunderstanding, an error. Headship and submission shows that our existence and our spiritual thriving depends on each one doing his or her part. For men to do well, you know, for husbands to do well, their wives must do well. It's part of the ministry of, of a husband. There's a huge role in that. When it comes to listening, praying, reading the scriptures, participating in the church, you're making, you know, all those things are critical for making that home successful. That's spiritual leadership. And for the wife to do well, her husband also does well. That's why his reputation matters and she wants them to be respected. I mean, his respect isn't primarily up to her. Um, he shouldn't sin and live in rebellion against God and think that he'll be respected or to do well, but she shouldn't undermine him by herself, even if he's doing wrong. If he's going to do it, let him do it himself. Um, but, you know, it doesn't need to be accelerated because you just never know when people turn and they pull through. By God's grace, many people pull through in that way. We really are dependent on each other. Well, after the principle of interdependence, I think he goes into a principle of nature. We see this in verses 13 through 16. What he's doing at this end is he's really just illustrating what he's already said. Um, not setting a law or, or a rule, but an example from nature um, and common society, you know, their understanding of it, um, to make his point about head coverings. The timeless principle, though, here is that we should honor our God-given biological sex by living consistently with it. And so he draws on the cultural norm of the day that, that um, men tend to have shorter hair. Um, back then, men were, um, long hair was associated with effeminacy or with prostitution even. Um, and so that was to be disregarded. And you and I all know that men have a harder time growing hair, right? It's almost like God has given it to some of us a symbol of masculinity, right? Short, practical hair. Um, even baldness is a sign of masculinity. Um, so, He also draws, though, on the cultural norm of the time of, of women having long hair. Women at the time would um, almost exclusively have longer hair. And, um, and what he points to is like that natural head covering for her. Now, I don't, I don't think he's saying here, though, that, you know, that, long hair is a covering. In fact, he says in verse 15, he says, if a woman has long hair, is it her glory? And, you know, he's already pointed to what her glory is, right? Her glory is her husband, her, and the glory is ultimately God. Um, scripture tells us in First Peter chapter 3, you know, don't uh, worry about the braiding of hair or your outward appearance, but it's the quiet spirit of a godly person, of a godly woman, um, which is most attractive in the eyes of God. And it's, and we see even see in First uh, Samuel when they're talking about David, and he seems small and unimpressive. And 
Um, it said about him that, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Her glory isn't found in her beauty. It isn't found in her youth. Her glory um, is seen in the loving respect that she gives her husband. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ and the adoration that they give towards her. Her husband has respect as he and his family have a reverent worship towards God. And there's a glory uh, that's given to God in that well-ordered home with a family that's focused on worship with the hope of generations of faith. Now, the world has a problem with headship, and it shows why we have so many of the breakdowns um, within our culture. I don't, I don't think the Bible forces this idea of headship upon the world. Um, many may say that, you know, you're forcing this idea on us, but I don't think it's the way. I think this principle of headship is part of creation. It's part of God's design. Again, it's what we do with it or not. And the Bible gives us these instructions on how we use these roles in this place in a loving way according to God's design. And so when the world wants to throw off God-given ideas of biological sex, it does it to its own hurt, the hurt of families, the hurt of, of women and children. I mean, it's not to say that people haven't abused those things sometimes and even grossly violated um, responsibilities they've been given. But it does not help to dismiss God's created order as that tends to undermine the well-being of others. So we see those three principles, this uh, principle of glory, of interdependence, this principle of nature that are there. Um, we're going to the Lord's Supper here in a minute, so I want to wrap this up. But if we're going to take a timeless truth for us in the passage, you know, it's important for us to check our own motivations and practices as we come into worship. You know, good worship is a time to gather together with God's people, to focus on him and to do it together. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. It's not about having a certain position or title or rights. It's about each one serving each other and being an encouragement to one another in our pursuit of God. In worship, we direct our gaze towards God. He has our attention. It's not ourselves. We don't want to be a distraction, but we want to be a helper. It's amazing that something such as simple as modesty in our lives, it, that it glorifies God. But it really does glorify God. Because in our focus on him as individuals or as a people, you know, he gets the glory and the honor that he is due. And then we worship him in the splendor of holiness, being satisfied truly in him. So how do we do that? How do we bounce attention off of ourselves and let it sit with God? And, and how is it that we submit in these ways? It has to come through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what the, script, the passage said? It said, the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. He willingly submitted himself to the will and purposes of his Father in order to save you. See, that's the way that we are rescued from being attention seekers. So if we're looking for happiness, for the freedoms that we have, or, or, or joy and the attention we can get from others, we will be constantly disappointed but if you look to Jesus Christ by faith, you will be satisfied. If you're trying to get glory in this life, you will find that it is fleeting. But if you direct your glory upward to God, you will bask in his glory for all of eternity. You see, Jesus shows us our value by what he's already done. He died for us on a cross. He was resurrected from the grave. He, he's at right, God's right hand and he is praying for us. And as a result, we can walk in God's will we can walk in a way that's pleasing to him. 
we kind of summarize our passage, we might do it by, by saying this. Our message to the world is, is don't look at me, let's look at Jesus. Look at his grace, look at his love, look at the righteous joy that he brings. Look at his kingdom, look at Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the one who deserves all honor and glory. You are the one who's created all. You are the one who has authority over all things. And Father, you've given, you've put us where we are, who we are. Um, this is all part of your plan. And so Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We just ask you to teach us the freedom of self-forgetful worship. Father, giving, bringing our attention, all of our attention towards you, whether it's the way we prepare, the way that we act towards one another, even during the week, and getting our hearts ready to worship you. Father, your kindness and love has moved our attention off of ourselves to, to you. Father, we do pray for marriages that uh, may be struggling today to find hope in the gospel and in applying the gospel to their lives. Father, in the renewal that comes as they're restored to you and then brought together. Thank you, God, for Jesus making humility and self-forgetful possible because he did it himself. He took on himself in his death on the cross for us. And Father, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, we remember his self-forgetfulness, his humility, and giving himself to serve you. God, we thank you for the supper. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is the Lord's Supper.